Welcome to the AKC Podcast, an audio resource for the King's community following the Associateship of King's College programme. The AKC is an inclusive, research-led programme of lectures, which explore diverse religious and cultural perspectives. For more information, visit kcl.ac.uk forward slash AKC. Lecture resources and further reading links for this lecture are available on the AKC Keats area. Hello everyone, welcome to the first AKC lecture of um, 2021 to 2022. And it's my job to present you with some of my own research, just to, to, to really drum in the fact that we've got this image of Jesus that is so standard. Uh, you can look at the, the art that we have in the 20th and 21st century, it just keeps on over and over reiterating this image of Jesus. So it's the it's a brownie, nut brown hair, it, he's European, he often has blue eyes, um, he's often wearing long baggy robes. Um, these are our portrayals in films, that's, that's the Jesus we all uh, recognize, um, portrayed by good-looking um, actors of uh, stage and, and screen in, in numerous Hollywood films. So um, this is our Jesus. You, you don't get a, a black Jesus. You don't get a brown Jesus. Um, you get this uh, European whitewashed uh, Jesus with this long, um, rather nice hair, even it might be a bit straggly, but it, it generally looks reasonably clean. And um, and th this is what we come to expect. So this is our standard. This is our, our Jesus um, through countless paintings of European art. Uh, we don't expect anything different. There he is in his beautiful Clothing, his nice mantle, looking clean, um, looking European, um, looking fine, finely attired. And uh, we can imagine him as tall, um, something very um, good and, and, and handsome ab about him. So, yes, the question is, why does it matter? Why does it matter that we have a Jesus that doesn't look anything like he would have looked in the first century in Judea? Well, it's a question. Um, some people say, oh, it's not what uh, Jesus looked like that matters. It's, it's what he said and who he is that matters. And, and to, of course, to a, a large degree, that's true. And you can say the same thing about Martin Luther King or, or Mahatma Gandhi. It's not what they looked like uh, that, that counts. It's, it's what they said and, and did. But hey, is it really the case? Um, what they look like is a huge part of who they are in terms of ethnic identity and the struggles that they were engaging in. Um, in India, um, in the decline of the, the British Empire and the, the fight for independence and justice in India, and also in the civil rights movement in uh, America in the, the 50s and, and 60s. So the idea that um, their ethnicity has nothing to do with what was really important about what they are saying um, would just be patently un 
true. Um, what they look like is quite tied up with their message. Um, Gandhi um, put on the, the clothing. He especially, you know, got rid of his, his normal clothing. He had grown up as a lawyer in, in South Africa and wearing quite European uh, clothing. He consciously chose to dress in the clothing of uh, rural India in very simple clothing. There he is, um, you know, going either with sandals or barefoot, staff in hand, um, aligning himself with the poor and the marginalized in Indian society. So what he looked like was actually an essential part of his message. Likewise, Martin Luther King, he didn't want to be put down in any way. He wanted to show the dignity of the black man. This is one of his um, repeated statements. And to show that dignity, he wore really nice suits. He dressed not in anything shabby, but, but in a good um, suit, the sort of suit that would impress uh, a white guy in uh, America. So always neat and tidy, um, beautifully uh, presented. So that idea that, okay, it's not what they say that counts, uh, it's not what they look like <laughs> that counts, it's what they say, um, actually doesn't wash with Gandhi and uh, Martin Luther King. Their presentation is vital for us to understand more about the meaning of their message. But imagine, imagine if 2,000 years from now, this is how Gandhi and Martin Luther King are remembered. There we've got Tsar Nicholas, you know, he's presented in this beautiful, you know, military, nice fancy attire. Um, or Frank Sinatra, you know, he's wearing a suit, but it's not quite the same suit as Martin Luther King. Um, and of course, they're both uh, white guys. So if we were to, to think, okay, you know, we can present Martin Luther King or Gandhi in any which way we like. Um, it just so happens that this is the conventional way now of, of representing them and what they are doing in history. Wouldn't that actually jar quite a lot with their message? Wouldn't we find that quite problematic? So my quest to find the historical Jesus and what he looks like is actually a quest to really understand his message also uh, much better. So this is, is a, a picture that I painted, or crayon, that is a crayon picture, when I was young. And I can't quite remember how old I was when I did this picture, but I think around 12 or 13. And if we just kind of talk through this image, apart from the halo, um, it's a, a man with reddish brown hair, um, pale skin, European, um, baggy clothes, baggy sleeves. Um, he's got a big mantle on, an extremely big mantle on in, in this picture of mine. And, uh, and and it just seems like this is recognizable Jesus. So you, you um, people recognize Jesus. He's extremely recognizable worldwide. He's kind of a brand. This is our Jesus. But uh, in terms of my historical work, as I was um, going through my career exploring Jesus as a historical figure, I soon realized that this is completely nothing nothing like what Jesus actually would have looked like. And 
there are certain issues if we try and make this figure fit with the historical context of first century Judea. Uh, it doesn't, just doesn't uh, fit in at all. So do we have a Jesus that we kind of place in, in that context, um, looking as we expect him to look from all of uh, these representations of Jesus, or do we do something about it? The book I wrote all about the subject, all about my uh, quest for what Jesus looked like, it's called What Did Jesus Look Like? And it came out in 2018. You can see the cover uh, shows an image that you won't immediately recognize as Jesus, uh, as a young man um, being baptized by John the Baptist. He looks more the sort of long-haired uh, guy that we expect. Um, and uh, there's a, a river god of the Jordan River over on the left-hand side, which is not what you normally expect in, in this kind of uh, iconography in this kind of art, but um, this is from uh, Ravenna, it's from the Aryan Baptistry in Ravenna, um, and we're, we're thinking about a kind of art that was popular from the, the 4th, 5th century where Jesus could be portrayed in a very different way to um, what we're used to. But then it made me ask, why do we get the image of Jesus that we have so predominantly today. Why have why have we got this image of the the, the European guy with long hair, beard, um, big clothes? Where did this image come from? And you can see in, in the book, if you're interested in, in looking at the book, how I go back through time and try to explore uh, what is the most uh, authentic memory of Jesus. How did our images of Jesus come uh, to be? And certainly it all boils down to what was happening in the 4th century. Our Jesus image was invented in the middle, about the middle of the 4th century, by artists who were commissioned by very wealthy uh, people of the Roman Empire, by emperors and um, all sorts of others who wanted to build magnificent churches, magnificent basilicas. So we have this image of Jesus, not as a historical man, but as a triumphant figure sitting on a throne. This is a mosaic from Santa Pudenziana in Rome, and it dates from about 415 uh, CE. And you can see our Jesus, but our Jesus is, um, well, got the halo of the sun god, it comes from Apollo, the sun god. Um, dressed in this magnificent gold attire, this gold toga, sitting on a throne that has all of this beautiful blue silk all around it and jewels. And why is he sitting on that? Because he is triumphant at the end of time. He, this is a, an image of um, the, the great cosmocrator uh, Christ, the, the, the figure who rules at the end of all of time. Um, it's a triumphal new Jerusalem behind him. There's the four heavenly uh, figures of Ezekiel in the book of Revelation in the sky. This is not a historical portrayal. It's a theological portrayal. It's a, a spiritual portrayal. It's trying to show um, Jesus as someone who is the the great uh, son of God, a God um, who will rule um, forever and ever. 
So this triumphant image of, of Jesus on the throne with the long hair and the beard belongs to a particular style of Roman art that was long in existence. Now, if you want to look for the precedent, you've got this beautiful representation of um, Jupiter or Zeus Olympus. Um, and this representation of Zeus, the great Greek or Roman god, Zeus uh, Jupiter, was very, very widely known in the Roman world in the first centuries of our uh, era. This image of, of the triumphant Zeus has him on his throne as ruler of the world. He has the golden mantle, the, the great robe wrapped all around him. He's there with the, the, the Roman eagle. He's got a scepter in his hand. He's got uh, winged victory on an orb of the world in his other hand. And so this kind of image was so predominant uh, as what a, a god should look like, what a, a great world-ruling god should look like. When it came to representing Jesus as son of God, the artist basically thought, okay, well, we need someone who looks younger than Zeus. Zeus is always represented as a man in his 40s or, you know, often late 40s. And, but, but Jesus has to be a bit more youthful. He's the son of, of, uh, of God, so we're going to make him a young Zeus. And so we get the, the long-haired uh, Jesus, the, the not such a long beard, but basically this kind of Zeus figure sitting on a throne, ruling um, the universe at the end of the ages. Now, big difference, of course, uh, Jesus is a bit more clothed than Zeus. Um, the, the Romans and the Greeks like to present their gods unclothed. Um, uh, the, the, the sort of triumphant nude was, was in vogue. Um, or if they were uh, clad, they were clad in these gorgeous, long mantles sort of wrapping all around um, themselves. But um, there was another god who was very popular at the time that uh, Christianity was making its way in the Roman Empire, and that was the god uh, Serapis, and I'll show you an image of him. So god Serapis was a, actually a mixture of Zeus um, and uh, Egyptian gods, uh, Osiris, uh, the Egyptian god, and it was a, a, a kind of cult that was established in Egypt under um, the Ptolemaic rulers from uh, the 3rd century BCE um, onwards, and it really took the world by, by storm. It became this new kind of religious philosophy that blended in astrology and uh, ethics and spirituality in a way that wasn't really otherwise known in the Roman world. Um, and it was the, the great competitor, one of the great competitors, I should say, for um, Christians in, in terms of winning hearts and minds in the early centuries of our era. And Serapis is always presented in the same kind of clothing that we have uh, Christ uh, clad in, in the, in the fourth, fifth century. So he is clothed. He's got this nice long robe on, baggy sleeves, um, nice mantle wrapped all around him, and um, he's got the, the, the Zeus-like long hair and beard. So uh, Jesus gets presented as a young uh, Serapis, and that is 
just recognisable then that he is a god. Uh, you want, as an artist, you want people to recognise that you're presenting um, a divine figure. So uh, you put in all the hallmarks of a divine figure, and hey, presto, you get our image of Jesus. You can see an early Jesus here in the mid-fourth century on uh, the walls of a, a catacomb in Rome, the catacomb of Commodilla, where um, he's got still, he starts off, he had quite curly hair. There's a lot of curly hair hair to Jesus um, because that associates him with uh, curly-haired gods like um, Serapis and Zeus and and uh, and even Dionysus without a beard. But um, it's that idea that he's recognisably divine that is important in terms of our iconography. Uh, just to kind of seal it that it is Jesus we've got in this image, an alpha on one side and omega on the other, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet and um, it ties in with the proclamation of the book of Revelation that Christ is Alpha and the Omega, uh, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, is all. Now, if we go back before that, you're going to, you say, well, okay, that's all invented in the fourth century, but what was Jesus, what, what did he look like before that? Um, we've got various images, and I'm not going to go all through every representation of um, Jesus before we get the, the standard Jesus we know, um, but, but one I do want to point out is um, the, the earliest one, really, um, is Jesus portrayed as a kind of philosopher. Uh, Jesus, we could, I could talk a lot about how Jesus was conceptualized as a great philosopher in line with many other philosophers of the Greco-Roman world. So uh, to present him as a sort of philosopher, it was perfectly sensible. And, and what philosophers did was um, they tended to wear very simple clothing, um, undyed clothing, and uh, otherwise quite similar, but their, their, their clothing was a lot more basic. And it just so happens that uh, Jesus, in being presented as a philosopher, was also being presented as a kind of Moses figure who happened to be also presented as a great philosopher in the Greco-Roman world. So you can see in this slide, on the one side, you've got uh, Moses striking the rock um, in the wilderness, one of his miracles with his rod and uh, bringing forth water from, from the rock. And on the other side, on the left-hand side, you've got uh, the figure of Jesus using the rod of Moses, the staff, um, as a, a, a way of channeling his miraculous power um, to uh, the figure of Lazarus, who was in the tomb. And it's one of uh, Jesus' greatest miracles, the raising of Lazarus, we read about in the Gospel of John. So he's presented in this way that recalls both Moses and um, philosophers. And sometimes he has a little light beard on, um, but but it's hard to see in catacomb paintings whether or not he's just got stubble or a light beard or, or, or nothing really. Um, he's got short hair. It was very uncommon for actual, real men to have long hair. If you had very long hair, you... Well, that either made you look like a god, which was very odd, um, or you looked extremely old-fashioned, or, or like some figure from the mythological past, 
Um, or you were really making a point that you were a, a philosopher like a, a, the cynic philosophers who uh, lived on the streets and uh, and just absolutely didn't care at all about anything to do with society or their appearance. So one thing that Jesus says in regard to clothing, he says a number of things in regard to clothing, but what, one thing that we have in Mark 12, 38 is, he says in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who desire to walk in long robes, the Greek word stoli, and to have salutations in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. One of the things that Jesus was really not into was um, presenting yourself in a fancy way, clearly. Um, he was very critical of those who were wealthy and powerful in his own society. And he warned people of the, the kinds of behaviors that would go with wanting honor. Um, you know, these scribes desire to walk in long robes. But what long robes indicated is that if you were wealthy, um, women wore stoli or very wealthy men, um, rulers um, and uh, men of leisure who didn't have to work physically. They would wear long robes. So isn't it ironic that of all things, Jesus is presented as wearing long robes in all of these representations we've got of him through time. If you want to look at a man who is wearing long robes as uh, a man is visualized in uh, the time of Jesus, uh, just about the same time as Jesus was growing up, uh, there's a fresco from uh, Pompeii which shows uh, Jason over on the right-hand side with only one uh, sandal on. Uh, being presented to King Peleus. And King Peleus is there with his two daughters on either side. He's a mythological figure. He's, he's the son of Poseidon, so he's quite well presented with a bit of a long hair and, and beard. Um, but the important thing is he's wearing these long robes that would be would have been worn by men in the Hellenistic part of the, the Roman Empire, the Greek part of the Roman Empire um, that represents their wealth and status. And it's the sort of thing that Serapis gets clad in. Um, Serapis, the, the god, gets all the beautiful clothes of royal rulers put on him, and that's, that's the image we have. Um, so Jesus specifically criticizes men who want to wear fancy clothes like this, and we remember him in European art as wearing just exactly those fancy clothes. And not just simply um, in his role as a ruler of the universe at the end of time, but actually as a historical man walking around Galilee. He's got these big clothes with um, completely impractical sleeves. So we've got this um, image from the world of um, the ancient world of, of art, which which represents the kind of man Jesus thought no one should be. You know, th this is uh, not what he was about. He wasn't interested in seeking honor. And you know, another saying he has Matthew eleven eight. Uh, what did you go out to see? Um, talking about going out to see John the Baptist, a man dressed in fine clothes. No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. 
they are not uh, Jesus or John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist wears very distinctive uh, clothes, uh, probably sackcloth. Um, but Jesus himself is dressed in something that is the antithesis of anything fine and um, fancy. He is a man who dresses poor, and he aligns himself with the poor. Okay, so what I'm going to do now is run through what I think Jesus actually did look like, and um, and then uh, just see what you think, and uh, whether or not this is something that you find challenging or or not. I, it will be fascinating to just kind of reflect, I think, for you on um, where my research has, has led me. You may disagree with me, but uh, this is where I have uh, have gone with it. So to start off with, what did Jesus look like in terms of his hair? <laughs> Let's start off with the all-important subject of hair. Um, the the image that we have of Jesus, as I said, with long hair parted in the middle, uh, not like mine, um, but the that idea of brown European hair, uh, quite neat. Uh, uh, if we look at um, images of Judean men from the first century, we have very, very few, but we do have a couple on Roman coins. And, and um, you see in the, in the top coin, there's a captive Judean man. Um, he's got his, his hands tied behind his back. Um, and he's got a beard, uh, but he's got short hair. And the one at the bottom, you see a man who I think is a priest. He's wearing priestly clothing um, in these uh, trousers, really, these, these pants. And, um, and he is, uh, has also got this hair that's reasonably shortish around his ears and a beard. Uh, and Jews in the ancient world were considered to be a nation of philosophers. Uh, the uh, Philosophers could be bearded. Um, so th there's a indications that it was quite n normal for men in Judea in the first century to have uh, beards. But certainly not all men had beards because um, I can show you other pictures, but I won't. Um, there are uh, it, it, some images of um, the Herodian royal men who, who don't have beards. Um, the, the Roman style, as you'll know for countless movies, is uh, for a man to have short hair and to be clean-shaven, um, like we've got this image of um, Vespasian over on the left-hand side. Uh, looking very much the Roman man with a very thick neck, um, short hair, no beard was the the rule for Roman men, and everywhere in the Roman world you're expected to to look like that. And um, this Titus, his son below him, looking very much like that, the same image of the the Roman man. Um, so we we don't uh, have a kind of Roman style of clothes of hair that has. Um, long hair in, in, in any way. Uh, in fact, the, the uh, Apostle Paul in one of his letters says, you know, don't you know that having long hair is shameful for a man? Um, there was this idea that long hair just wasn't cool. It just wasn't dignified if you were a, a man. Um, it, what was fine for a god um, it was one thing, um, but a mythological figure that uh, long hair was not normal on, on men. Um, and anyway, so we've got sort of possibility that beardedness was was normal at the the time of Jesus in in Judea, and he would have been bearded, but probably not 
have very long hair. In terms of ethnicity, uh, just think about Jesus' whole face. Um, uh, we're thinking about him having a shortish hair and, and a, a shortish beard, as you see in this mummy casket from the second century, this man um, from nearby Egypt. Um, that's the sort of look that we would expect of Judeans in the first century. Um, brown skin, brown eyes, uh, black brown hair, brown um, black brown beard, um, and we know a lot more about the, the ethnicity of people in the Second Temple uh, period in, in Judea from many, many bones that have come to light. Archaeologists, um, those who have specialized in the study of ancient bones, can see that Jews of this time um, were ethnically very similar to other peoples of the Middle East, and um, of course they are a Middle Eastern people, and uh, the, the ethnicity would correspond uh, most closely to Babylonians and, and others who are in this region. So um, we're thinking of people that are um, a Middle Eastern type of person. And um, it, it's complicated because, of course, nowadays the Middle East is actually quite complex um, ethnically, partly because of a great many invasions from the West. <laughs> um, but uh, but brown skin, brown eyes. You know, we're we're talking about someone um, who is ethnically brown who and not ethnically white. We're not talking about a European person. And um, for me, that's just sort of foundational for everything um, to see Jesus in terms of his own people, his own time. In terms of what he was wearing. Um, Seeing Jesus as a Jew of his own time um, is is vital, and he was wearing. Um, he not only was a Jew of the, of his own time in terms of his ethnicity, he wore Jewish clothing. Um, he com complains about others, you know, these sort of scribe types who uh, want to um, look good in front of other people, so they broaden their phylacteries and they lengthen their edges. What are phylacteries and edges? doesn't come over well in translation. Edges are actually uh, a Hebrew, um, the Hebrew term is zitzit, and they're little fringes and or tassels that men were supposed to wear on the four corners of their mantle, their um, cloak, their, the big robe that, that they wore for warmth. Um, and you can see the references to the importance of wearing these little fringes um, to distinguish a Jewish man in Exodus and, and Deuteronomy, the references are at the bottom of the slide. Phylacteries were um, little amulets. Uh, they're still worn by uh, religious Jews today during prayer. Um, and it was expected that you donned them during prayer to um, uh, around your forehead and, and around your arm. Um, the Hebrew word is tefillin. And, and Jesus complains about people that broaden their phylacteries to show off how pious they are, how prayerful they are, how, how much they are devoted to, to God. Um, and in fact, um, we can see from uh, archaeology, there are uh, phylacteries that are particularly broad and some that are, are small. So um, that this shows that Jesus did not want men to wear broad phylacteries, but he probably did wear uh, a thin, small phylactery himself because it was part of his Jewish identity. In terms of a representation of uh, Jesus with um, 
with the, the fringe at the, the corner of his, uh, his outer garment, his mantle, we see this beautiful image from the, the catacomb um, of Marcel uh, Peter and Marcellinus in, in Rome, where a woman with an issue of blood grabs hold of the corner of Jesus' mantle um, in the hope that the she will channel his healing power and um, she'll be made well. And it's a successful initiative on her part because she is is, is cured. And uh, it's quite interesting that that artist representing Jesus as this kind of philosopher Moses figure and catacomb art of the third century does represent this little tassel at the, the corner of his garment. The phylactery, the, the thin phylacteries, um, just showing you a, an example of that in, the, uh, in this phylactery case, which was found in the, uh, uh, one of the Qumran caves uh, where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is a little phylactery, um, so you can get much bigger ones uh, than that. And uh, the, the tassels, the fringes in the corner of garments were made with a special um, wool, uh, that was dyed with this particular color of sort of purpley blue and um, they found this kind of wool that's more sort of purpley looking now um, through the passage of time. They found this kind of wool in, in one of the caves in the Judean desert in the cave of, of letters. So we know that they were using this sort of um, wool uh, to, to, to make tassels uh, that would be put on the edges of their gar garments. Jesus didn't wear long robes, he wore something short. So what did he wear? He wore this uh, tunic kind of style. Um, it's called a chiton in um, Greek. And you can see that in military reenactments, the guys, you can buy one of these um, from going to the website here. Um, and uh, this was standard clothing for ordinary men in the in the Roman Empire and in the, the Greek part of the Roman Empire as much as in the, the Western side, the European side. Um, so uh, you've, you've got uh, a, a kind of garment, a two-piece garment um, sewn up at, at the shoulders and it came down to a, about a, a man's knees. He would wear a belt around his waist and uh, it would be striped from uh, shoulder to hem. And the color of the stripes could be quite important. They could be expensive colors or they could be cheap colors. Um, and some people just didn't have those stripes, of course, but, but that is what we see men dressed in in the Roman world in the first century. We can see actual garments like this in um, in the Israel Antiquities Authority collection. These are photos I took in their stores where um, they have uh, preserved tunics um, that would have been worn in the first and early second century uh, with these stripes. Uh, they could be different colors. They, you know, the, the man in that picture uh, had a, an undyed uh, tunic, and you can see an undyed tunic there on the, on the, the right-hand side. But often uh, people in the first century loved color. They had so much color. They loved greens, yellows, reds. Um, and so there was there was a real industry for dyeing garments. A rich, lush color was the order of the day. So when you see Jesus films that have everyone dressed in beige, no, that wasn't the case. If you dressed in in beige, it showed that you were. If you if you dressed in an undyed tunic, it showed that you were particularly. Um, philosophical that you had rejected the lure of color 
of uh, the, the passions of the flesh in in any way. Um, women were um, women were considered to have much more susceptibility to the passions of the flesh. Um, women were more associated with bright colours than men, but we see images of men in um, colours as well, especially this red colour, which was made by um, just a, a plant called madder, and it was easy to uh, dye your items red. So there's a, an image of two workmen in uh, one of the uh, tombs of Betrice in Jordan, and you can see a man wearing exactly this kind of tunic, a, a red tunic, and another guy um, in an undyed uh, tunic, and they're just doing their thing as, as workmen. And this is the sort of garment that Jesus would have worn. In terms of how um, <laughs> the color of Jesus' garments, the one thing that we know is that they weren't glistening white because in the story of the Transfiguration in Mark 9, um, it said that his clothes became glistening, intensely white, as no fuller on earth could bleach them. And this suggests to me, in fact, that they weren't colored, that, that Jesus himself would have worn undyed clothing, um, like other philosophers um, and people who were trying to show that they didn't care about color, um, that they didn't care about wealth, the sort of color that goes with wealth, and um, and that these rather, you know, in this case beige, <laughs> garment was suddenly made very white in this visionary experience of the, the transfiguration. So um, I, I'm getting a, a little bit more of a sense of what the historical Jesus is, is looking like, a Middle Eastern man wearing um, this, this undyed tunic, um, simple workman's wear. Um, the other thing that is quite telling in terms of Jesus' clothing is in John 19, where we have this message, where we have this statement that um, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his mantles and made four parts apart for each soldier and the tunic. It's interesting that here he's wearing two mantles and then they're separate from the tunic. It was a very cold night when he was in our gospel story and I think he was he might have had an additional scarf. But the tunic was seamless, woven from the top parts through the whole thing, so they said to each other, let's not rip it, but rather cast lots for it to see whose it will be. And um, this has been interpreted as indicating that Jesus' tunic must have been really fancy, but actually um, the, the, the soldiers saying, oh, let's not rip it, but rather cast lots for it to see whose it will be, indicates it was of less value than the mantles, which they could cut up. Um, and uh, that, that, that there was no point in, 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 in dividing it because it wasn't of great value. All clothing, I should say, all clothing was of some value in antiquity. Clothing was really, really expensive. Um, so not having clothing was a real thing in the ancient world. Um, and only wearing rags was what happened if you couldn't afford clothing. So equivalent, you know, we're so used to cheap clothing in our modern um, societies, we don't realize how in the ancient world, how incredibly expensive it was um, to get clothing. So if you imagine you had to spend 400 pounds for a t-shirt, you're in that sort of world in which, okay, if you've got a t-shirt, you hang on to your t-shirt. 
that's the sort of world we're in in um, in ancient uh, in the ancient Roman Empire. What was this uh, tunic that wasn't uh, one that was made of one piece that they didn't want to split, so they just cast lots for it, but it was worth something? Well, we know from archaeology that these were undergarments. These were um, the tunic you wore underneath your proper tunic. That tunic was a stripe. That was your proper outer tunic that you would go out and see people in. Underneath that, you would have a simple linen uh, tunic that could be made of just one piece, uh, just nothing fancy. So I have argued that this one-piece uh, one tunic of, of Jesus is actually what other people would wear as under tunics. And so he only wore this one tunic when he went out and about. So he's starting to look a lot uh, rougher. And it ties in, in fact, with what uh, Jesus says. He says uh, in Mark 6, when he's sending out his envoys, um, the apostles, he told them, don't take anything on the road except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals. He's saying, you know, don't go barefoot, but don't put on two tunics. Don't put on two tunics means, you know, either your outer tunic or your under tunic, wear that, but nothing else. And there's a whole lot of statements by Jesus, which is, you know, give to the poor, share what you don't absolutely need. The more you share with each other, the more the whole world is clothed. Um, this is somehow the coming of the, the kingdom of God for, for Jesus. And, you know, there's a whole other talk I could give all about that. But, but that kind of realized, you know, here and now aspect of what Jesus was doing in creating a community in which people share clothing and share food um, is absolutely vital for understanding what he was on about. So sandals, here's a, an example of some sandal, of, of a sandal found in um, the Judea, Judean desert caves, also beautifully preserved over time. Uh, just simple sandals, they um, very easy to, uh, to modify to, to fit your, um, your foot by uh, slipping the, the the leather in these little kind of uh, tongues on uh, around the toes and on the side, but um, everyone wore wore sandals like that, and they were just they didn't have any proper soles; they were just made of thick le leather, um, so they would easily wear out. And you need them in Judea and Galilee because it's a very rocky environment. So uh, Jesus telling his disciples, um, his envoys, to wear sandals um, indicates that, okay, you know, you're going out without a bag. You're going out without anything. You're, you're basically trying to test the villages of Galilee to see if they would show you hospitality. That was the key thing for Jesus, to see whether people would show hospitality um, to people who were, basically look like refugees. They look like the most down and out, desperate people. They arrive in the village um, and, and just see what kind of response you get when you don't look like the high and mighty and the, the, the rich. And this ties in with what we know about Jesus from the earliest memories about him and his appearance. In the second century, Celsus, the Roman uh, philosopher, or Alexandrian philosopher who really didn't like Christians, wrote a, a, a piece 
all about how terrible Christians were. And he says, Jesus wandered about most shamefully in the sight of all. He obtained his means of livelihood in a disgraceful and importunate way, just awful way. He was a vagabond, an outcast who roamed about with his body disgracefully unkempt. So we have this idea of uh, the memory of Jesus, not as someone who looked beautiful and well-maintained, wearing fancy clothes and long robes, um, a European or Roman Jesus. Um, this is a Jesus who is, um, is looking like an outcast. I suppose I should revisit, you know, the, in terms of his hair, um, you know, he probably didn't look particularly well uh, looked after in terms of his hair as well. But um, but it's uh, this image of Jesus as one of the poor, one of the uh, outcasts that um, comes through. And the Christians who, who wrote against Celsus in the second century, um, Origen, a uh, great uh, Christian scholar, wrote against Celsus, and he didn't dispute any of the things that Celsus said about what Jesus looked like. So Jesus is a, a wanderer um, and someone who sleeps rough and uh, looks like someone who, who sleeps rough. As he says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but this son of humanity has no place to lay his head. He has the sense of being this refugee outcast and aligning himself with the marginalized in society, and he looks like one of them. He wasn't the, the beautifully dressed man who just sort of dispersed nice statements to the poor. He was in amongst the poor. Visualizations of Jesus, um, an artist called Baz Utewijk in uh, the Netherlands came up with a, 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 what, a kind of photographic image of Jesus um, in 2020 based on an image that I put up on one of my blog posts about um, uh, my work on what did Jesus look like. And I think his image of, um, of what Jesus looked like here is one that I would embrace as a, as a correct, relatively authentic presentation. He's slightly too um, beautiful, probably, and, and well kept. <laughs> um, but uh, that, that idea of Jesus is the one I think I would like to put in your minds as the alternative, uh, the more authentic Jesus than the one that we have inherited in terms of my own uh, representation of Jesus, I did a line drawing in What Did Jesus Look Like? Just a black and white line drawing, really focusing on the kind of clothing that I thought he would wear with a mantle, with a little tassel on it and the, the short hair um, rather than the, the long um, hair. Um, and uh, I found that a few of my readers um, said, why have you presented a white Jesus? And it's absolutely horrifying to me because in the in the book I spend so much time saying Jesus was brown, and then I present this image in a line drawing in which, because it's just a black and white line drawing, people read ethnicity as white into a an, a line drawing, um, which is just amazing. So um, I've done another one in which I I make it clear um, what is in the text of my book, which apparently people um, didn't understand. Um, and uh, yes, we have a, a brown Jesus, and I've got him um, presented in a in this kind of uh, undyed clothing. I'm still working on this image, frankly. It's not. It's, I present this to you. I haven't quite finished it. 
um, I'm still having to make him a lot scruffier because I find it, yeah, I just need to to rough Jesus up a little bit to, to ensure that he looks uh, truly among the, the poor and the downtrodden. But I ask you really to reflect yourselves on your image of Jesus. Think about what I have said today. Um, for those of you who... Um, who find Jesus meaningful, whether you're um, Christian or non-Christian or, or whatever, um, think about what it means to have um, a Middle Eastern Jesus dressed um, in scruffy clothes appropriate to his time and, and what that might do in terms of um, his message for you and um, your spirituality for those of you who, who feel a strong um, spiritual connection with, with Jesus. Um, I, I know that sometimes it's quite challenging because we have this idea that can be very precious to us and even people have had visions of, of Jesus presenting um, an image in a particular way. Um, but that, that in itself is a, another topic, what um, the divine chooses to present in terms of communications to us. Um, but uh, for me, it's really important. Uh, for, for me, it's been um, incredibly eye-opening uh, in terms of my own historical imagination as I try and reconstruct the historical Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the AKC podcast. If you have enjoyed this lecture, please click subscribe in your podcast app to receive future episodes. AKC, at the heart of King's thinking.